Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name is Lucia Benavides and today we're talking about Catalan biochemist Joan Oro and his groundbreaking research on the origin of life. This month marks what would have been Joan Oro's 100th birthday. And to celebrate, we're going to take a trip back through his life to learn about his work with NASA, his contribution to science organizations in Catalonia, and his research into the possibility of life on other planets. I'd also like to mention that this is Filling the Sink's 150th episode, so congratulations are in order for the Catalan News team on that milestone as well. Joining me today is reporter Killian Shields. Hi, Killian. Buen día, Lucia. How's it going? And we have a special guest with us, an expert on Joan Uro. His name is also Joan, Joan Anton Catala. He's a science writer and educator. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Before we really delve into the fascinating life of Joan Oro, let's backtrack a little bit and start at the beginning. Who was Joan Oro? Why is he important? For many, it may be the first time they're even hearing his name. Catalan news reporter Lea Belayeva did a little digging into his life and achievements. Let's see what she found. Joan Oro was born on October 26, 1923, in Lleida, a city in the western part of Catalonia. His family owned a bakery, which he was expected to take over, but Oro had other plans. From a young age, he showed interest in science and the origin of life. I thought, now I know what I want to do. Oro explained when talking to the Fundación Jaumofón in 1996 via Catalonia's National Archive. I will study the origin of life since neither the Marist brothers nor astronomer Flammarion nor Darwin have explained it in their teachings. In the early years of Francisco Franco's dictatorship, he went to Barcelona to study chemistry at the University of Barcelona. He graduated in 1947, but emigrated to the United States in 1952 to pursue his dream of studying biochemistry, something that was impossible both in Franco Spain and in post-war Europe. In the U.S., he learned English and earned his Ph.D. in biochemistry at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston in 1956 and started working at the University of Houston. In 1959 was the year that changed everything for Oro, who in the United States was known as John. While working at the University of Houston, he discovered the abiotic synthesis of adenine, one of the integral components of DNA. This groundbreaking investigation made him famous. Essentially, he had unearthed a key puzzle into understanding the creation of life. And in 1963, he began collaborating with NASA on a number of significant projects, including the Apollo 11 mission to the moon and the Viking mission that went to Mars. Oro moved back to Catalonia for a brief period in 1980, where he got involved in politics and became a member of the Catalan parliament during Spain's transition to democracy. But he quickly returned to Houston, realizing he wouldn't be able to do quality research in Catalonia at the time. 
It wasn't until 1994 that he retired from academia and moved to Catalonia for good, where he lived until his passing in 2004. Thank you for that, Lea. So one of the things we just learned is that Juan Udo grew up in Spain during Franco's regime. He was born just 13 years before the start of the Civil War. Uh, Juan Anton, can you tell me what was Udo like as a child? Uh, he was very curious. In fact, he raised questions very difficult to answer as, for example, uh, why we are here, uh, what's life, things like that. So nobody could answer those questions, of course, at that time. Even we cannot answer those questions today, most of them. And he was very curious. He was reading things like uh, Darwin's um, book about the evolution of uh, species of life. He was reading uh, Camille Flammarion, who was uh, an astronomer, French astronomer and philosopher. So he was very active, a very active mind. So as nobody could answer the questions, he would be the one who uh, would find the answers. That was his decision when he was very young. Wow, and how how did kind of living under Franco's regime affect you know the possibilities that he had to be able to do that? Europe was the the the, the place to go to to do science. For example, even the American scientists were coming to to Europe. Uh, but of course, the the Second World War changed the scenario, and uh, Europe uh, was no longer the the place to go. And United States was the objective of of Juan Ro. But in fact, he, that was very risky for him. That was a very um, brave uh, jump to the States because he needed uh, permission to go there. Uh, he didn't have uh, economic um, means to, to, to go there. And even he didn't know about the English language. So he had a very, very basic knowledge of English. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And how, how did that jump even happen? How did he get the idea to go to the U.S.? Was it a teacher, a colleague? No, in fact, that was a thing, an idea in his uh, mind that was cooked. When he finished the chemist, uh, chemistry um, career studies, he began uh, working in a bakery. It was a family bakery, so cooking uh, bread. At the same time, he was cooking his ideas in his mind about the future, and he tried to find the opportunity to go to the States, and finally, he decided, with the encouragement of his wife, this is a very important figure in, in, during all his life, his life, um, Francesca Forteza, Paquita, was, she was called, uh, he uh, wrote uh, more than 50 letters to, the univers to universities and research centers of the states asking for a grant to go to study there. And he received a lot of answers. And one of those uh, answers uh, coming from the Rice Institute in Houston, um, yes, gave him a grant to go there to study again chemistry. This was not his objective. He was already a chemist here. He wanted to go to do the PhD in the US, but he saw this thing as the opportunity to jump to the States to, you know, to have this, this uh, grant and go there to study. Okay, so he had to start over when he moved to the U.S.? More or less, more okay. or less, with very basic uh, knowledge of English. His family was left in Lleida, here in, in, in Catalonia, and he was alone there, um, missing his home, 
missing his language, his friends, completely alone. It was very difficult at that time. And then he jumped to the medicine school uh, of Baylor because he found an opportunity to do the PhD there. So he, he left, he quit the Rice Institute and he went to the Baylor Medicine School of Medicine and he succeeded with his PhD in biochemistry, not related to the origin of life, that was his main objective, he would have to, to wait for that, but a PhD related to biochemistry with the cancer processes, and it was very useful for him in the future. Very interesting. Um, I think you just mentioned it there a little bit about his work on DNA and uh, the synthesis of adenine. But prior to that, this work on cancer research, what, uh, what, what, what kind of investigation did he do in that field? Yeah, he was uh, studying the properties of uh, formic acid. It, it's a very basic organic acid. Uh, and these studies about the formic acid was very useful for him in the future when he was an advisor for NASA. And uh, we, as a humankind, were trying to find life uh, on Mars. That was a challenge. I think it's incredible. We even, today, we don't know almost anything about life. And in 1976, we were challenging nature and going uh, towards Mars to find life. It was incredible. And and these studies about the formic acid that he has done, uh, he had done uh, some years um, before, were very useful for him to advise NASA about the results of these first experiments on Mars when, in fact, NASA believed that he, they had discovered life on Mars and he said, no, 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 this is not life, this is related to the formic acid reaction, this has oh, nothing wow. to do with life. Wow, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinating. Uh, his his work with NASA is something obviously it's one of the major uh, landmarks of his yes. achievements, his research. And um, I just wanted to ask as well: How is it that in the first case a biochemist is is involved in space missions, yeah. uh, exploring not only Mars but also he had a major role in the Apollo missions, the yeah, the, right. the, the Moon program as well. So how is it that a biochemist got involved in this kind of field of work that maybe someone would assume is more physical? related rather than biochemistry. Mm-hmm, you're right. In fact, NASA, uh, by statutory mandate, uh, has the, the objective, one of the main objectives of NASA is trying to find life outside the Earth. So the um, implication of uh, a lot of uh, disciplines is very important to have this comprehensive vision about life outside the Earth, and biochemistry is one of those areas, main fields. So Joan Uro was uh, at that time very famous because of the um, discovery of the abiotic synthesis of the adenine, as you commented before, that was in 1959, and he suddenly became very, very well known in the scientific um, arena, and NASA asked him to be an advisor for um, lunar samples uh, analysis, and then for searching for life on Mars. He was one of the um, few scientists uh, receiving samples, moon samples from the Apollo 11, and then other Apollos, and analy- analyzing those samples to you know, certify that, that life was not present on the moon. That was the thing that we knew, but we needed evidences for that, and he provided those evidences. He was advising for, for a Mars mission. In fact, he was not designing the experiments, but supervising or give, giving advice about the results of the experiments, 
and that was the moment in uh, 1976 in July when it, NASA had a lot of excitement because he they thought that they had discovered life on Mars was you know a huge thing, and uh, NASA scientists prepared that uh, announcement and in that meeting Juan Oro raised his hand and, and said, "Excuse me, I have another explanation for this." Uh, let's say positive, it's not life, it's uh, a chemist, uh, chemistry reaction, only a chemistry reaction, not related to life. Wow. And so this was very, very important at that time. Yeah. So he, w he was able to get to them before they announced it publicly? You're right. And, and when they announced, they announced both things. So we have two explanations, they said. One is, we think we might have discovered uh, life on Mars uh, based on this and this and this, but Professor Rowe thinks that this is not life. This can be explained with si uh, a simple chemist, uh, chemistry uh, reaction. I know we're sort of like bouncing back and forth between the future and the past a little bit, but I think we almost glanced over the, the synthesis of adenine, uh, which is one of the major things that he's well known for. Mm -hmm. um, but this obviously informed what he knew in that meeting to say, no, it's probably just a chemical reaction. It's not life. Tell us about this. This is one of the key components of DNA. It tells us now so much about what we know of the origins of life. Um, but tell us, what was this discovery? What did it mean? Why is it significant? And what has it led to today? Okay, so the DNA, um, it might be the, the instructions book of, a, of an organism, of a person, for example. Uh, the DNA says how we are, how we function, how we work. Um, and this is written with only four letters. We call that the genetic code. And it's fascinating because every organism on Earth um, uses the same four letters, the same genetic code. It's incredible. It's amazing. And Every organism, yeah, not I, just humans. No, no, no. Everyone. Plants, plants animals. animals, bacteria. Everyone. Bacteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same. And, and then uh, of this uh, genetic code, we, I said we are using nature. It's using only four letters to write this very complex book. One of those letters is the adenine. So uh, John Orr discovered how an ancient uh, earth, without the presence of um, you know, humankind with laboratories, because inside our body, we are building every second adenine. It has no, no secret for us. But before life, how nature managed to create adenine. And he discovered that. He discovered how an, a very old Earth with the oceans and the atmosphere that was very different from ours now, um, managed to create this uh, Adenine. And the adenine is one of these four letters of the DNA, but also it's an essential part of our cells, not only inside the DNA, but for example, the, the um, currency, let's say the currency that cells use to pay for energy is made of adenine. Oh, wow. So the adenine is, is essential for every organism on Earth. And just to get a grasp of the magnitude of this uh, discovery, what was the leading theories at the time before Joan Aro's discovery of the, synthesis, of the synthesis of adenine? What was the picture like before then, and what did it lead to in a world after that? What was science's understanding of life before and then afterwards? Mm -hmm. uh, this is very interesting because we had some centuries thinking of the spontaneous apparition of, of life. This began to change with Pasteur, 
and then changed in the beginning of the 20th century with uh, Alexander Oparin. Oparin was a very well-known um, Soviet at that time scientist who created this thing of uh, if we want to discover how life appeared on Earth, we need to understand the chemistry of life. So it's all is about chemistry, chemistry, understanding the reactions that took place in this ancient life. So understanding how how the Earth was at that time, what's very different from ours, and trying to find these old reactions that uh, you know created the first essential molecules that afterwards nature used to create life. And this inspired Joan Oro, but before Joan Oro inspired uh, Stanley Miller, another great scientist from the American scientists who in uh, 1952 and 53 discovered how nature create amino acids. And the amino acids is one of these essential blocks of life for every organism on Earth. So we have oparin saying we need to understand the chemistry, the old chemistry, and we have Stanley Miller and Joan Oro opening new paths uh, for the investigation based on we can create, simulate in our laboratories the conditions of the old Earth and, the, and then playing with chemistry inside our laboratories to see what happens. This is Stanley Miller and Joan Oro. And this is, obviously we don't know the origins of, of life, you know, we don't no. know how it went from day zero to day one, no. but is this potentially in search of that? Yeah, in fact, they opened those paths, and but we still don't have the, the uh, final answers, and maybe we won't have them uh, never, because we weren't there. So we cannot be 100% sure about the chemical reactions that took place at that time. We can try you know, to guess, we can try to simulate reactions in our laboratories and say, look, uh, we think we have uh, a, a possible a answer, but maybe we won't be for sure, 100% sure, because we weren't there. We cannot certify that those were in fact, the chemical reactions used by nature. Yeah. It's one of the I mysteries this, of life. Yeah, that, it's uh, incredible. I tell that to young people, encourage, encouraging uh, them to, you know, to investigate and to study those things. Uh, I believe that there are few things in science as inspiring as this uh, study of the, about the origin of uh, ourselves. So you were saying it's very important to be curious, uh, to have scientists or to encourage kids to, you know, ask questions about the origins of life and anything, anything else uh, regarding science. So how I'm assuming Juan Udo also thought that this was a very critical thing to to inspire young minds. What did he do after he retired? I understand he came back to Spain and gave back to his community. He, when he uh, came back to, to Catalonia, he tried to change things here. So he created a, a, a kind of environment that was very, very useful, that has been very useful to improve investigation and science here in Catalonia. He created, for example, uh, the Fundación Catalana para la Recerca y la Innovación. This is a, a foundation, an organism that is working to improve uh, research and scientific careers uh, and interest uh, in, in young people, not only in young people, but specifically in young people. And he created that, that organism. Then he wanted to create also an observatory, an astronomical observatory, professional one, but not only professional one, but also a place like a cathedral of the astronomy open to everyone, open to families. And he um, uh, 
pushed this project in Monsec uh, Range, it's a range, mountain range. In Lleida, uh, in right? Lleida, from where you're where right. From you're right. Mm. Uh, in the pre-Pyrenees, pre that we call that region, it's a very pristine region in terms of the quality of the sky, for the night sky. And he also created the Fundación Joan Oro, the Fundación, the organism that um, carries his name. And they, uh, Fundación Joan Oro, has, have all the um, assets. We are talking about letters coming from Carl Sagan or, or Lyndon Johnson, another you know, uh, important figures of that time. Uh, all the personal diaries of Joan Rowe, he was very methodic and he was writing everything down. So we have notes from his uh, student um, ages, but then also when he was uh, investigating in Houston, uh, working with NASA, etc. And we have all that material wow. and it's uh, taken care of by the Fundación Joan Rowe. Wow. And so we did mention that this month would be the 100th birthday of Joan Uroa, were he alive. So I understand that Generalitat has organized the uh, Año Joan Uroa, or in English it would be the Joan Uroa year. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that and your involvement in that? Uh, I was asked to be the curator of the year. So I, um, I devised the main objectives of the year and I taking care of the, you know, the direction of all the activities during this year, and we have an, a very big exhibition, for example, with uh, things uh, like uh, samples of the moon, real samples of the moon, all the history of Joan Oro, um, uh, video pills with uh, experts coming from different uh, parts of the science, of science, explaining things about origin of life or the search of life outside the Earth. Um, and, and we will be moving that exhibition around Catalonia, and then we want to go abroad with that exhibition, uh, even to the States, if we are able to do so. Uh, and we are doing, um, delivering a lot of conferences around Catalonia since uh, January, conferences devoted to everybody about Great. things like science, uh, biochemistry, life, you know, uh, space exploration, everything. Yeah, so it's not just about Joan Udo, but about the things that he studied. You're right. Well. In fact, the, the four objectives that we have is one, uh, letting people know who Joan Udo was and what he did. This is first objective. Second objective is try to understand why it's important for us to study the origin of life, what it means for us. Third objective is encouraging young people to study science and technology. And fourth uh, objective is... Um, celebrating the fortune of life. So realizing how difficult life is and how fortunate we are to be here today. That all sounds amazing, Joan Anton. And I think it's clear to see from his work, he was such a passionate defender of space programs, missions like that, not only because of the scientific um, work that it, that it leads to, that it is, but also the social value of the missions as well. Um, he was a passionate defender of learning, of conservation, of peace, and I think these values are reflected in his work as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about his outlook on life mm -hmm. and how it influenced his, yeah. his legacy, his uh, work? You're, you're right. He became an advocate for, for peace uh, based on science, uh, knowledge, in general in knowledge and science. He thought and he, he explained that uh, knowledge, science, uh, are basic for our understanding as human beings. Uh, and he was, he was very good at explaining things to people, you know, at communicating science. And he used his um, position as a well-known scientist around the world to, to advocate for peace, 
cooperation, humility, and values that are very important today. Okay, it's time now for Catalan Phrase of the Week. Uh, Joan Anton, do you want to help us with this one? Okay, I will try to do so. What's one that could be related to Joan Udo, Origin of Life, Space? The moon? Do you want Maybe the moon? moon. For example, the moon. Uh, está a la lluna de Valencia. Okay. Estás a la lluna de Valencia. It means you are very distracted. Okay. You are in the moon, Valencian moon. I don't know the origin of, of, of the terminology, why it's Valencian moon. You're at, you're, you're at the Valencian moon, the moon of Valencia. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it translates as. Yeah, you are in the moon of Valencia. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Like your mind is elsewhere. You're not yes, here. Yes, you're not here. You're distracted. Okay, so estar a la luna de Valencia. I'm gonna next time I go to Valencia, I'm gonna see if I <laughs> perceive this perceive Different something moon. exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that, um, and that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Killian, for contributing to our reporting, and thank you, Juan Anton, for joining us. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. And we will be back next Saturday with another episode of Filling the Sink. In the meantime, you can catch us on social media or email us at fillingthesink at acn.cat. On behalf of the entire team here at Catalan News, I'm Lucia Benavides, wishing you a wonderful weekend. Goodbye. Ciao. Adeo. Mm-hmm.